Larry who? Never heard of her. What sort of a man is he? Dick from Bama. A man like any other, but more so. Well, I thought he was dead. This is the Larry Alex Taunton Show. Let's light this candle. Welcome into the Larry Alex Taunton Show, your man in the field. Before we get to a fantastic topic, how are you? I'm doing very well. How about yourself? You know what? I'm great. Did you hit any turtles on your way here today? <laughs> uh, I took video of a turtle um, <laughs> Did you? on your street um, <laughs> just to send it back to my child that is the biologist. Okay. Um, but... I was actually joking. I didn't know you'd actually seen any turtles today. I did. I, did it's you take like, a picture and then run over it? <laughs> <laughs> I'd let it cross the road. <laughs> it took its time. I'll let you know. All right. So you probably remember this delightful thing, but in the middle of the night last night, I wake up to hear my front door open. And I'm like, what in the world? Somebody's breaking curfew. <laughs> Somebody is breaking curfew and the one who might be can't walk. So like, what is going on? And I know that Chris is not moving. So I think, well, it's up to me. I've got to go handle the intruder. And I'm like, hey, who's there? And it is my son who has driven home a day early so okay. I wake up this morning to all... Home from college. Home from college. From, from UNC. From UNC. He drove after practice last night. So it was a delightful thing. Do you remember those days when everybody was at home, when they had been apart? Even the married child was in the house, and I thought, I need to, I need to relish in this for the moment. You know, this is really, really um, going back in time, but I remember a very... Um, famous Maxwell House coffee commercial yes. in our childhood yes. that was, um, you know, the best part of waking up. No, excuse me. I guess maybe that was Folgers. That anyway, was Folgers. Whatever it was. Some coffee commercial that begins like that. It's like Christmas and somebody is just coming home, just arriving like maybe as the coffee is being made, something like that. Did you make a pot of coffee? Of course I did. Did you really? Well, I, I don't know that in our house you could call it a pot of coffee. We have an automatic um, espresso machine. Okay. So I'll make everybody coffee. And then he, of course, has to dash out to... But did you really do that as soon as he came home? Well... That'd make you a very impressive mom. Well, I wasn't impressive. I went in <laughs> and he was in the laundry room, actually, okay. uh, dumping his clothes. But he scared the living daylights so out of me. So it was not an intruder. It was not an intruder. It was my son in the middle of the night. And he was like, hey, surprise, I'm a day early. I'm like, hey, always happy to see you. But Didn't then send when a I, text, no heads up, well, just here I am. my phone was off. So I did not get the, I'm walking in the house okay. right now. I'm like, oh. So he was trying to warn he you. He was trying to warn me. However, to see everybody on the couch this morning when I left was quite delightful. And I did make coffee. That always makes moms what happy. We do. It does make moms happy because you're happy for them to go. Uh, you're thrilled for them to start their life. But it also is that moment where everybody's car is in the driveway. Yeah. And you're like, I'm going to live here for Mom's like Mom's happy and dad's seconds. like, get out of my chair. <laughs> He's like, and can you move? Uh, you're in my parking spot. Yeah, and stay out of the refrigerator. <laughs> Basically, that that is the whole deal. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, that's so, cool. Congratulations. Yeah. So thanks. So I'm glad, you know, we'll get to see him for a few days before they... Good. Get started again with their summer basketball. And this, uh, this is, uh, he's playing at the University yes, of North he Carolina. he is playing. And this is his first year. It is. So he is a freshman. And um, for those who, who don't know, you know, the University of North Carolina, they went to the, uh, to not just to the Final Four, they went to the championship game. They did. And, um, and they lost to Kansas in a heartbreaker because they were up by like 15 at the half. We were. And then Kansas came storming back in the second half. But no shame there because Kansas is a great tradition. 
uh, great power. It's um, is like losing to Alabama in football. I mean, Kansas is a, a a great great school, and I think everybody predicted Kansas to kind of win it this year. They were just had incredible talents, and I don't know that anybody saw North Carolina going as far as they did. And and do, do I have to ask? Do North Carolina fans really even care because they beat Coach K in his last two really important games? I mean, his last game at home at Duke. And then they beat him in the Final Four. I mean, that has to be – I mean, if North Carolina fans had to choose between, say, losing some, somewhere along the way there to North Carolina um, or – excuse me, to Duke or beating Kansas, don't you think they would probably say, eh, we've got enough national titles. We want Duke. We want to beat Duke. Basically. I mean, our T-shirts now read acceptable after both losses <laughs> um, because, you know – in the fall, when we were destroyed by Duke um, by 20, no one saw this coming. But I've that second that. game on February the 4th, when Armando Baycott, whom my son has worked out against quite a bit, the look on his face after he dunked in the first seven seconds of the game, I'm watching in a hotel thinking, oh, oh, this, things have changed. So you're right. We were thrilled to beat Duke uh, once and then again twice. I don't think they saw that second time coming. I really don't. I mean, I'm thinking, would Auburn fans prefer to beat Nick Saban in his last game? Yes, please. Or win a national championship? I think they'd probably choose beating, you know, beating Nick Saban in his very, and not just like his last SEC game or his last home game, but I mean, his last game. Period. Right. Um, how how sweet is that if you're a, if you're a North Carolina fan? But. Glad, congratulations to you having all, all the kids home. Very delightful. I know you know what that feels like, and it's uh, you don't take that lightly no, as a mom. Not at I don't all. think that ever would hit me as, as hard as it did, but I did have to sneak outside literally early this morning, and I thought, I'm taking this in, Good. and then we're going to move on. Um, but I'm glad that they're home hanging out because that doesn't happen, and they appreciate one another more um, because they're each on their own life journey. So, except little sister who's like, Y'all are in my space. Well, and they'll have expectations that you make them, you know, all their favorites. It's true, which is kind of heavy because I don't have any food in my house right now. My father-in-law, he cracks me up. He says, I know that the kids are coming when um, Barb, his wife, he says, I begin to see the freezer is full of things that I like. <laughs> <laughs> he says, because she's not making this stuff for me. She's making it because she knows they're coming. Truth. So. Yes, which means um, I'll have to make some chocolate chip cookies this afternoon. Yeah, okay. Yeah. It's my job. Cool. It's what I do. Save me some hot ones. Okay, I will. <laughs> I'll bring. I don't like them after you know a couple of days. I, I or even after a couple of hours. I like them right when they come out of the oven. So you're like That's the it. French with bread. <laughs> yes. Afternoon, it's yes. trash. Afternoon Forget it. Trash. I feel the same way though. Are you are you in the pursuit of the perfect chocolate chip cookie? I am always. Yeah. Always. There. You know what? I'm going to bring some, you guys, and we're going to try. Perfect. There's a bakery. You probably had them. They've you know franchised this year, but every bakery that they have that I visited because this is my job to visit bakeries and eat cookies, um, I'll bring them and we'll have a taste test. Now I want to do, I want to begin the show um, a little differently. Before we plow into our main topic today, I want to go straight to ABS, okay. Automatic Braking System, otherwise known as Amy Beth Shaver. Uh, Amy Beth, what is the thing that is that has you pumping the brakes this week? All right, so I found an article from The Federalist and came across it late last night, but it is this, because I still have a school-aged child, is that K-12 schools 
must allow boys into girls' private areas to obtain federal funds for lunches, breakfast, and snacks, the administration announced this month. And I'm wondering to myself, is this when the parents will revolt and say that we've had enough? I don't know, but I am infuriated by this news. I, I can't even wrap my brain around the idea that maybe we're a little um, less, you know, in Alabama, we may be a little more insulated from this than in other states, but it's still happening and they're tying. I think that they fed 30 million kids. This is a lot of money that they're holding up saying, you must do what we're telling you to do before we'll release those funds. That's unthinkable. Um, it's quite diabolical. And I don't know what people will do about it. It'll be very interesting, but I think this is horrible, horrific news. Well, and it's what happens when you end up with a um, an overpowered uh, federal government. Um, I mean, they're basically saying, I mean, think of, think of this. They're basically saying, we're not going to give you back your money right. until you do this perverse thing that we're telling you to do. Now, last night, I, because you know how when you pull up like Netflix now, it's kind of irritating. It immediately begins with a preview. Yes. Like you're not necessarily wanting sound, but it, it begins with it. But it must have worked because it began with a preview of Ricky Gervais, um, his uh, some stand-up routine that he was doing. I'm not one to watch stand-up comedy routines. Like I've never been to see a, a stand-up comedian, and I don't know that I've ever watched um, other than just, you know, like, you know, at the Oscars, you know, or something like that. I, I ever ever watched like a, a show that's just about that. But last night, because of the jokes they were showing that he was telling, I thought, I'm going to watch a little bit of this, and I want to warn you that the language is quite rough, and Ricky Gervais makes it abundantly clear that he is a hardcore atheist. However, he begins by really going after the whole trans movement. Have you seen or read anything about this? Just a little bit, yeah. Well, he's been attacked by you know everybody um, because of this. But one of the things he says, which is very funny, is he says, he starts talking about old-fashioned women. He said, I'm talking about the ones without penises. And, um, <laughs> and, um, and everybody, <laughs> everyone just roars. And he says, I mean, think of this. They, they want to tell you that they should come into your bathrooms. That they should come into your bathrooms. And he says, in the moment you say, we only want women in here without penises, he says, that you, he says nobody saw that coming. Um, and the, you're immediately shouted down. And one of the, thing, one of the points that he made was, I, I didn't know this, but apparently Liam Neeson got into huge trouble over some film release or something, some interview he did. And he said something that, I don't even remember what Ricky Gervais said it was, but he says there's this effort to cancel him. And then he says there's an effort to cancel um, Kevin Hart, because somebody digs up a 10-year-old tweet. He said, if you're one of these people that wants to cancel somebody for something they said, you know, years ago, you're just ensuring the fact that you will be canceled for something you're saying right now, because none of us knew 10 years ago what was going what group what mob was going to be dominant and say what we couldn't couldn't say he said i mean what's the likelihood that you will find an old tweet of mine that says i really prefer women without penises that i wrote 10 years ago he <laughs> said none of us saw that coming 
but this is where we are um, in the world. And as it relates to the bathrooms that you're talking about, I mean, Ricky Gervais was just skewering quite rightly um, all of this because it's a complete absurdity. But again, it's the effort to invade your space and to pervert it. That's That's what these people are about. Well, and you think about what happened, for example, in Loudoun County, Virginia this year um, with a young man attacking women at two different schools in their bathroom. He felt like he identified as a woman and then went on to sexually assault those women. Well, it's happening in prisons, I too. Mean, it, 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 right? I mean, <clears throat> it is. Un, you're right. It's unthinkable that this is where it all ended up and that you are shamed for questioning they're tying their money to young children's lunches. You can't get your lunch money if you do not do what we're asking you to yeah. do. Um, as a mother, as a parent, it's outrageous. Uh, and parents absolutely must fight back against this. I mean, I cannot imagine. I've got a granddaughter on the way, and I can't imagine that if she was a five-year-old and she was attending a local school <laughs> that they would allow little boys and say, this little five-year-old boy feels like a girl today, yeah. and so he can come into the bathroom with you. Yeah, I have to say, Shania Twain's uh, I Feel Like a Woman just hits different these days. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, just, really it just hits different. <laughs> it does. Do you remember the old, it was like a Toyota commercial, you know, maybe 20 years ago, and that song comes on, all these guys are in a four-wheel drive, they're riding Yes. Along, and one of the guys starts singing it and all the other guys, you know, turn and look at him like, hey, you know, chill. You know what's right? They would never play that commercial today. And the commercial was funny. It was, it was a good funny. commercial. It was a, it was a good commercial. It was appropriate, even though I can't remember which which automobile was being um, was being promoted in it. But whenever – I'm wondering how many stations even have the guts to play that anymore, you know, on field, just like a woman. I mean – you know, with Shania Twain, it worked, but but now you have um, you know perverse elements in our culture, who are not women who want to say that they are, and they want access to your bathrooms. I, I that that is uh, when I read that, I thought this is this is the ABS for the week. Yeah, um, it's a uh, and it's an awfully good one to um to to hit the brakes on. Well, I think it, it causes parents to wake up. They're already awake, wide awake, because of I think really kicked off with COVID and masking and health issues with families, but this. Um, this is something that parents need to investigate all across the country and figure out where their school stands, where their school board of education stands, and what they can do to fight against it. Well, and I, um, uh, listen, we, we had uh, recently this school shooting, and um, that's not really a topic um, for conversation for us today. But I'll simply say this, that if the school shooting, if you're just now becoming aware that your children are not safe in schools, your children have not been safe in schools long before this school shooting or, you know, even Columbine back in, I think, 99, you know, when when that school shooting occurred, meaning that your children have been under spiritual assault mm-hmm. for a very long time um, in schools. And why parents would be putting them into public schools is just beyond me, unless you just have a real confidence. You're in some you know, isolated part of the country and you know all the teachers and you're, you know, you feel pretty confident about what the curriculum is, those instances would have to be pretty rare. Yeah. And again, I point out the fact, I've said this on an earlier show, but it's worth repeating. The public schools that I went to um, as a kid, and if there's any breakdown in my logic, I just simply have to say I went to a public school. So, um, (laughs) but the public schools that I went to um, as a child are comparable to the Christian schools of today. 
I was taught, I was required to learn the Lord's Prayer in public school. We said the Pledge of Allegiance. I was taught about Jesus. We prayed in school, in public school. This was quite common um, in these days. Um, I was not taught, you know, some kind of um, virulent um, uh, uh, atheism in public schools. I was taught boys are boys and girls are girls, and you act like a, you know, a gentleman, you know, these kinds of things. It's not to say, by the way, that public schools were idyllic in my childhood. They certainly were not. And um, I would, if I'm a huge proponent of, you know, either really excellent private schools or or homeschooling. I'm just simply saying that there has been a massive evolution in, uh, in, in public schools. And if parents have the visual in their head of their own days, they just don't have a clue what's going on. And I think it, and you've written about this before, but it is very hard to talk to people about education yes. and about school because they do believe yeah. that it is the school where they grew up and yeah. it is not. And there are, I feel like a little bit in some areas of Alabama that I know of, you are insulated a little bit because parents do know the teachers, but that's not normal. Yeah. Um, but I've talked to Chris about his growing up experience. It was the same thing. I went to a very large public high school moment of silence, prayer, Jesus, like it was very similar to the way I grew up and I grew up in a Christian school. Yeah. Um, but I think we have to become acquainted about what's actually happening. Yeah. Um, intentionally you. read their textbooks, know their teachers. Um, and even because I've had a little bit of experience with Christian school and our, our older children, they are slipping some of an ideology that would trouble parents if they knew what was there. And if they knew what to look for, um, it's you have to be very intentional about where they are and what they're learning and who is teaching them and 100%. what you hope to get out of it. Yeah, I've learned, Amy Beth, there are four things that you cannot criticize. Oh, do tell. I have four things that if you criticize, in my experience, um, among Christians, um, this will get the biggest reaction from them. There, you know, I could insult their wives and not get near the reaction that I get on these these four topics. You can't criticize their church. You can't criticize the school where they send their children. You can't criticize their football team, and you cannot criticize the Greek system. You know, um, <laughs> sororities or fraternities. <laughs> You can't question any of that. It's really? so funny. Yes. I remember um, this has probably been a decade ago, but I wrote something. I, it's just kind of a throwaway comment about uh, about the Greek system and, and what I thought were some real problems with, the, with, with, with that. And um, data seems to bear that out. And man, I got some of the some of the most vicious responses to that. People, you know, so defensive because they just love their I mean, as adults, they're still kind of living in that, you know, fraternity or sorority, you know, the, the basking in the, in, in, in the glory days of that. And um, people take very personally, um, you know, the, their choices about a church or schools. And I don't feel like they should take that personally because you may be talking about uh, problems with theology or, you know, critical race theory in a public school. And but but I've decided that people see that as an attack on their own personal yes. choices. Now that may not be your intention; it's the way they read it, and so they become. It's hard to have a real thoughtful conversation about that. To speak of public schools, 
in uh, the, the problems with public schools these days doesn't doesn't attract near the same level of fires that it used to. But I, man, um, have, have I gotten strong responses to stuff like that? And sometimes I wish people, you know, saved the same kind of passion they have in defending their football team or something that they have to defending, you know, their Lord and Savior. But, you know, it is what it is. Amen to that. Wow. So the Greek system, that's, um, that's, uh, you know, we didn't, uh, I, Chris did, I didn't, but he deactivated his senior year of college. He didn't have time. Um, but that's very interesting because I know nothing about it. Our girls do not participate. So it's kind of like a, it's kind of like belonging to Facebook. You deactivate it. Okay. And then after 14 days, it's no longer in No longer. It doesn't matter. But you, you can't learn about what, what they discussed in their chapter meetings and whatnot. Okay. But it, but I could see that here in the Southland, people would be very... I think um, it's much bigger in the South. It's huge. It's everything. And there are schools that girls that I know choose based on their Greek life and yeah, their I Greek system. That. And I've it didn't even occur to me that I would participate in anything like that. But I'm told in order to make friends... Rather than what we did, go up, hi, my name is, <laughs> do you want to study together? Apparently, there's a whole thing. There's apparently So more apparently now I've just put myself in yeah. the eye of the storm um, as expect, far as that Expect concerned. those emails. She's uh, Amy Beth Shaver on Twitter. You can reach her there. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. I'm a mom. It's okay. You can't scare me. Um, okay. So how about your topic for the day? which I think really ties in beautifully with everything we've discussed thus far, and that's understanding what's happening in America, a, a Christian response. And, yeah. and I love your tagline because it's true for your show, for your website, you're a man in the field. And I think that matters because you bring a certain gravitas that those who avoid flyover country... I like bringing gravitas. I mean, I, I feel like that, that's the word of the day. Yeah, I like okay? it. Okay? So <laughs> that's what you bring to this conversation? Well, um, thank you. I, I, I would like to think so because um, I travel a lot and I'm engaging with people high and low, you know, so I'm, you know, listen, I, these days post accident, I stay in nice places when I, I travel around the world. I'm well beyond, you know, staying in the, uh, the pensione, the, you know, the, um, uh, youth hostels and things of that nature there. I'm, I'm way beyond that stuff. Um, but I'm engaging with people at um, high levels of government, um, of society, and um, I'm also engaging with people, um, you know, in the third world who are just struggling to, um, to put food on the table quite, quite literally. And it gives you a very different perspective so that, you know, over the course of um, my life, I think I've been in now I think I've been in 59 countries now, and I think just during the pandemic, I've been in 12. So I'm um, about to leave the country again, you know, so about to, um, to, to head to South America. But the point simply being that we're not pontificating, you know, from, you know, um, the beltway where you don't really have an idea of what's going on in the world. <clears throat> and I'll also tell you that traveling, I think it's St. Augustine um, who said that the world is a book. And then he who travels not reads only one page. And it gives you a very, very different perspective um, what's going on in your own context. You come back looking at things in a very, very different way. And I don't care if you're somebody who's done a lot of traveling, but you haven't done it recently, you need to get out again. You know, because some of the opinions that I'm seeing spouted by both conservatives, liberals, <coughs> radicals on social media, <coughs> excuse me, Speak for a moment while I wet my whistle. 
Well, you know what? I agree. We travel with our children, and I think it is very important to give them that context and understanding that this is what the world really looks like, um, not just in a book, not just on TV, um, but it absolutely dramatically changed their person. Yeah, in a big way. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that um, what it does, if you're traveling recently, you know, in the last you know couple of years, the world has changed massively. And um, the pandemic has knocked, as, as I've, I've said this, this has not been new with me. I, I have pointed this out that, you know, most of the world lives well below the poverty line of what we would define as the poverty line. And um, many of them uh, depend heavily on, um, you know, service industries. And when the, you know, the pandemic shut all that stuff down, the cure was infinitely worse than the thing that we were trying to solve, trying to save people from, <clears throat> uh, infinitely uh, a worse. And so anyway, when it comes to understanding what's going on in America, one of the things that helps you is to see what's happening in other other parts of the world. And, uh, and I've certainly been able to do that. So you wrote this article, and it, it was, I had to read it a couple times because there's so much good in here, but you introduce it by asking the question that there's an evil logic behind the riots, the flag burning, statue toppling, and it's not just America that's under attack. Correct. It's the Christian faith that's under assault. So start there with the things that are, that feel like they're most urgent in that assault. Um, well, you know, we have a little video that we put out on uh, YouTube that's called uh, Understanding Socialism and Marxism. You can find it on YouTube. It's got nifty little visual effects. It's one that will help you. But one of the illustrations that I use in that video is of the, the game Jenga, you know, where you're stacking all these blocks and you're getting higher and higher. Well, um, radicals have understood that Christianity is the key Jenga block that if you pull it out from the bottom, the rest of the tower collapses. Um, at about roughly the same time that I was publishing The Grace Effect, where I was making this argument, um, a Harvard, Harvard historian who I believe is an atheist, and I think he's married to Ian Hersey Alley, who is also an mm. atheist, who was an interesting, very interesting woman. Um, but anyway, um, uh, his name's Neil Ferguson. He's, uh, I think he's a, 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 his PhD is from Oxford. And he wrote a book called Civilization, The West and the Rest. And Ferguson essentially argues that Christianity is the source of the West's strength and that as Christianity ebbs from our culture, um, that we are seeing a decline in civilization. We're seeing a decline in um, um, civility um, and he says and yet there's a corresponding rise in the east and that this seems to of course you know this this seems to correspond with um, the growth of christianity in places like india and china and uh, south korea and so forth so um, christianity you know, he, he in in that book i can't remember if it's in the middle of the end it doesn't matter but in that book he says he quotes a chinese scholar who says we've studied your your um, a culture and we've discovered the source of your strength it is christianity so marxists understand they have to destroy it you know we've just gone from the abs of bathrooms um of you know forcing is it because they think that there are transgender people all over the place of course there aren't and i don't even accept that as a legitimate category right but let's just suppose that um we do accept it um are those people all over the place? Are they actually wanting to go? The answer to that is no. 
uh, the idea is to is to um, <clears throat> rub your face. What we know are your values. We want to offend you with it. It's the way the left is with abortion. We know that you hold in in red states. I wrote a piece for USA Today in which I argued this. <clears throat> the issue for the left isn't just abortion. It isn't really even chiefly about abortion. It's that I, as a radical, know that you as a Christian believe that all life is sacred and I'm going to rub your face in it. I'm going to take what you think is so important. I want to offend you. I hate you so much that I want to destroy it in front of you. This, this is who they are. Right. And if you ever had any doubts about this, if you are paying attention to anything right now, you know that this is the case. That's what they want to do. Is it because all these people are wanting to have abortions? It isn't. They don't care about the rights of women. It doesn't have anything to do with that. It has to do with an assault on the Christian faith, assault on the sanctity of life, the ability to say, like an, a Roman emperor, thumbs up or thumbs down. I can say thumbs up to this child or thumbs down to this child. I could kill it or I can let it live. That's what this is about. And so it is with transgender bathrooms and all that kind of stuff. We know that most people don't hold to this. We're going to offend you with it. We're going to put it in your face. We're going to put this crap in all of our Disney children's movies. This is, this is what we're about. So hopefully people are picking up on that. But that's part of the logic that's going on here is it, in this, is it, it is an assault on the Christian faith and the values of the of the Christian faith, we want to desecrate it. Why is it so hard for Christians to see that? Um, I think it has a lot to do with the fact. This, by the way, is another reason to leave the country, because you begin to have a different perspective on American Christianity, particularly American evangelicalism, which is very feminine. Mm. Uh, listen, I love the feminine. I like I like the feminine in my life, in the right place and in the right time and in the right lane. Um, the, uh, I don't like it in my men. Um, I don't I don't like it in seeing it in uh, where it is. It, there's no balance in the culture. You know that there's a lack lack of it. Isn't necessarily that you know, it isn't that you're you're seeking to drive one or the other out of society. It's that there must be a balance, right? right. I mean, at some point. Uh, did Jesus have characteristics? <clears throat> Boy, we, we do this all the time. It, <laughs> it's like a bomb. But I think maybe we should take a break. What do you say? Let's take a break and we'll, we'll revisit. This is the Larry Alex Taunton Show. Okay, so welcome back into the Larry Alex Taunton Show. Um, just FYI, I'm terrible at watching time. <laughs> I was dialed into what you were saying, and I think it's important, but just please understand. Um, I'll do a better job. just want you to know that. You know, it's not a problem, and the reality is we have clocks all over the place, and here we have timers all over the place. I like this little one just because I think it's cool. Well, I want one of those, so yeah, I'm going to have to order one. I think it's cool. So Along yeah, with the cool flashlight. It's so. now become almost a, a tradition Then in our third episode together to have something that sounds like a bomb, you know, that's going off. So, um, you know, I think that just is the way we roll. Okay, cool. Well, I'm glad. I, I just need to get that out there in case somebody said, Amy Beth. Yeah, I'm aware. I'm aware <laughs> of my shortcomings. There are many. Trust me. So I ask you at the break, right before it, 
why it was so hard to see faith under assault and the feminine influence. And I don't want any of that to get taken out of context because what you have to say about it is very important. So could you start there and then move forward? Yeah, I, I think that we we have a less muscular um, Christianity. And uh, that's one of the reasons why I feel like there's been such a poor Christian response to this because we have emphasized the, the, the feminine, what we might call the feminine qualities of Jesus <clears throat> that is to say, qualities that we most closely associate with women. Like, was he nurturing? Yes. Was he gentle? Yes. Uh, was he loving? Yes. But we've done that um, over and against to the detriment of his, of his masculine qualities. Again, qualities that we would most associate with them. doesn't mean to say there aren't women who have these, these qualities, but his, um, you know, his strength, his courage. It, Jesus was confrontational. He was exceedingly confrontational. Yes. And when people want to want to create this kind of, you know, Fabio um, kind of Jesus, I'm thinking, do have you read? <laughs> have you read the Gospels? Yeah, clearly not, because that's not who he is at all. <clears throat> and have you read the Bible? Because mm. Jesus is also the one who said, let there be light. <clears throat> so I don't know what the problem is with my voice today. But, um, you know, this is uh, this is. This is Aslan. I mean, this is the God who's not to be trifled with. And, you know, traveling around the world, you encounter a different kind of Christianity. Not always is it a, is it a better kind of Christianity, but I will tell you that in context, like let's say the Christians I've met in China, the Christians I've met in Vietnam, the Christians that I have encountered um, in Africa, theirs is a more muscular, a more robust kind of Christianity because A, there's no social benefit to saying you're a Christian. There is still, where, where the two of us live here in the American South, there remains, for not much longer, but there remains a social benefit to, um, you know, uh, being at church, you know, networking for your job. A politicians who are running for office might like to have, uh, you know, um, commercials that show them standing outside their church, talking with their pastor, holding a Bible in their hand, singing in the choir. The, the, those days are rapidly coming to an end, but they still exist. We're, we're still there. And so there's no benefit in countries where people are being persecuted, you know, t to a kind of mamby-pamby kind of Christian. Either you believe it or you don't. And if you believe it, you're going to suffer for it. So you better believe it. That's not true in this country. And, um, you know, as we've seen across the board in this uh, this country, I mean, we've already in, in this show been talking about the transgenderism and and, uh, and so on, there's been this, there has been an absolutely an assault, not just on femininity, uh, a traditional um, uh, femininity, natural um, femininity, but a, an assault on masculinity. I mean, we have terms like toxic masculinity. Often what is being called toxic masculinity are just guys, you know, just regular guys. Uh, not, not guys breaking the law, not guys doing anything, um, you know, lewd or um, ridiculous, just guys being guys. It's deemed to be, it's deemed to be toxic um, to be a guy, um, to be a male. And so all of this has polluted um, the Christian faith in a big way. And the result is that when it comes to the things that are happening in our country, we're not equipped to see it. So you made a helpful analogy with um, a Shakespearean play, um, Othello. 
and I loved the the language that you used about um, well this character. Why don't you talk about this this character Iago, Iago sidling up? Yeah, I loved that because it was a great visual because I think it helps us understand exactly how this has happened. Um, yeah, um, Iago is a, is, is a, a real demonic um, character in Shakespeare's Othello. And that's because uh, um, Iago is, is devious, he's clever, he pretends to be your friend while um, you know, pouring um, just poison into your, into your brain and um, where you begin believing it. And in, in the story of Othello, um, you know, Othello is convinced by Iago of the unfaithfulness of his, his beautiful wife, Desdemona, I think. And uh, I'm, I'm trying to remember, is it, a, is it Desdemona? Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure it's Desdemona. It's been years since I've read it. And um, he, is, um, he is convinced little by little by his good friend, Othello, that she is duplicitous, that she's pretending to be one thing when she's another, that she is in fact working against him. And he kills her. And it's only after he kills her that he realizes her innocence, that Othello was so naive that he acted on this. This is what's happening in the church. You know, I was talking to an Old Testament scholar um, a couple of days ago, and we were talking about you know, Marxism in the church, intersectionality, issues that we're on a, a bit of a role ad, um, in, a, in addressing here. I feel very passionate about this because people need to get this. They need to understand what this is and what it looks like. And hence the previous episode where we are addressing what intersectionality looks like when you put that template over the Bible. Yes. And you're addressing an issue like, um, did David rape Bathsheba? Now you can arrive at that interpretation without the use of Marxism. But that's not how most are arriving there. They're arriving there through a Marxist interpretation of scripture. Anyway, in talking with this Old Testament um, scholar, um, I said, you know, um, we, we were both in agreement that so many of the enemies of the church, of the Christian faith in in decades past have been declared enemies, you know, obvious enemies. They're, they're um, you know, atheists, the new atheists um, who are very open about the fact that they're enemies of, of, of the Bible, enemies of God, that they are enemies of the Christian faith because they say we don't believe any of that nonsense and, and, um, and we reject it all, kind of like Ricky Gervais in this, you know, the stand-up routine. He, that's, the, that's the position, you know, he takes. And there have been other enemies. Um, but now that this, this Marxism by another name, um, intersectionality, uh, cultural Marxism, it's Iago-like. It pretends to be on your side. It reminds me of a, of a guy, um, you know, Bart Ehrman. He's a, he's a guy that we did a, uh, a debate with at the University of North Carolina. Um, some of you will know who he is. I don't know if he is now, but he was... He was for a time there. He was the uh, you know, distinguished scholar of, you know, like New Testament studies or something like that. And um, <clears throat> here he is teaching a subject for which he feels disdain. 
Um, here's a guy who says, I was an evangelical, I believed in all, now I reject it, now I'm, I'm an agnostic, and he kind of comes up to you and puts his arm around you as, uh, as an evangelical and says, you know, I used to believe all that you believe, I'm, I'm, I'm one of you, but I now reject all of this for this reason. And it's, uh, it's insidious. I mean, that's the word I keep coming to. It is absolutely insidious. Well, this is what intersectionality does. This is what Marxism does in the church because it claims to be a lot of things that on the surface sound, I'll say Christian-y, not actually Christian. That's Christian-y, good. Christian-ish. Yes. How about that? Yes. Christian-ish. Um, it's not actually Christian, but it sounds Christian. And if you're knowledge of Christianity or your your notions, your own Christian faith is what I will call sentimental Christianity, not actually rooted in scripture, not actually rooted in the word, not actually rooted in the person of Jesus Christ, but rather is rooted in Christian-ish ideas. I can very easily, if I'm the Marxist, manipulate you into thinking that what I'm promoting is what you believe. Mm-hmm. So that I say to you, you know, Amy, in Iago-like terms, you know, was whispering into your ear, Amy Beth, don't you believe in justice? Mm -hmm. Don't you believe in equality? Don't you believe in fairness? Don't you believe in love? Don't you believe in in helping the poor? Your answer to all of those things is going to be, you know, affirmative. You're going to say yes, that you do. But... At bottom, what I'm promoting is none of that. It may be that I believe that it's promoting that, but we it isn't now. You know, I, I think we have to give a little bit of a pass to the first generation of Marxists. You know, those who came along in the 1880s, the 1890s, um, you know, even as late as the Russian Revolution in 1917, because it had never been tried in a country before, you see? So it, it might have been much more seductive then because you were talking about an idea that had no history. So it looked hmm. better. It, it could, you understand what I yes, mean? I, I mean, I'm selling you an electric car that you've never driven in. I tell you, it, it, it'll, it'll get 1,000 miles to the gallon. It sounds appealing. There's never been one on the market. No one's ever seen this. There's no Carfax history on this. There's no Motor Trend review. Um, it just is there and it looks good. But that's not where we are now. Now we're, you know, a century and a half on and we have lots of history. And this is an ideology that has killed no less than 125 million people. So we know that now. So there's no excuse anymore to say, well, I didn't know. Um, and we're dealing with people who are so incredibly ignorant and arrogant. Yes. I mean, imagine the arrogance of thinking, um, you know, your husband's a physician. It, it, to me, it's like somebody saying to Chris, listen, I know that you don't have a high opinion of blood letters, but the previous generations of blood letters didn't do it right. We know that this is the way to cure all ailments. I mean, you would go, that's, those people are crackpots. It's preposterous. Utterly. And that's where, that's what these people are doing. They all maintain that other iterations of Marxists, well, they, they just got it wrong. That's always the excuse. We have never seen it right 
anywhere. And all the efforts, as I point out in my book, Around the World in More Than 80 Days, um, the proponents of, of Marxism or socialism will say, well, the Scandinavian countries are socialist. No, they're not. No. They are not socialist. They are free market economies with a very generous welfare network, which is, uh, which is very, very different. So... Yeah, I, I, I think that, that the, the Iago aspect of this ideology is very real and it's very seductive to naive and idealistic young people who want to believe that they are part of history. There's, you know, in, in Christopher Hitchens, you know, my late friend um, Christopher Hitchens, in his autobiography, Hitch 22, he makes a, a, a wonderful, I'm grateful for this, a wonderful admission and he's talking about when he was a communist he was an atheist and a communist by the time i knew him he was still an atheist but not a communist he had turned on that ideology in a very big way and he says that as a young you know oxford student where you know uh, uh communism socialism um, marxism was very very popular um at the time in uh, in places like oxford and cambridge and he says, it, he, and I'm, this is almost a direct quotation, he says there's something very seductive and intoxicating about thinking that you are, you are um, uh, linked to the engine of history, that you are on the cutting edge of history and that you are part of changing it. That's what these people who are throwing Molotov cocktails, you know, in our streets, this is what they believe. They believe they're agents of change. They're going to bring about a new society. What they don't know is that they're pawns in a larger game and they're being used as young people are always used as the end of the spear, as the, uh, you know, the, uh, the shock troops. And then they're rapidly discarded. So let's talk about that game okay? because I, I, I love and enjoyed your article so much because it helps equip those very people with an understanding of how this game is played, Okay, starting with dividing and conquering. Well, let, let me go back to a question you actually asked me earlier um, that I didn't answer. And that okay. is um, uh, you were asking me about, you know, that all these things that are happening in the culture that seem to be unrelated but they are related let me first dispense with that because okay. i was talking about this with my mom yesterday over coffee she was saying gosh you know all these things that are happening you know it feels like our society has just come completely off the rails and that everything is going bonkers and crazy i mean like the transgender issue that you have going on here like what disney is doing uh, in cartoons like what you're seeing with um with lockdowns and and um supply chain issues and um, you know, uh, election rigging and you name it. You know, it's just, it's just disruption across the board. Um, all of them are related. That is to say that if you're, if you're trying to make the tumblers line up on that, you're, and, and you're using um, the wrong key, it's not going to make any sense to you. You're not going to be able to, to make these things, you know, um, fit together. But if you use the Marxist key, they all make sense. Yes. And that's because cultural Marxism is about the disruption of your social order. They want to disrupt. Now, Marxist regimes, they want total order, total control. They don't have the, so somebody say, well, I look at, uh, you know, Marxist countries, they, they're not about the disruption. No, that's part of, that's, that's the path to seizing power. We disrupt your social order. We destroy your social order. This is what Solzhenitsyn said. 
We destroy your social order by disrupting your social order, and that makes it easier for us to gain power. Um, so that, think about it from this point of view. Um, you and I are old enough. We're both Gen X, and um, I think you're, you're Gen X, right? You're a little younger than me. Yes. Um, so we're, um, we're both Gen X, and a G- millennials, the, the generation just behind us, our kids, um, at least my kids, they're, they fall into the category of millennials, which is like mid-20s, I think, now. And then uh, mid-20s and younger is, is, is Gen Z. Millennials are mostly still old enough to remember social order. They remember social order. G- Gen Z, some of them on the younger end of that, you know, take my granddaughter, for instance, she will have no memory of a stable world if this doesn't change soon. That's what Marxists want. So the stability in our society, I was walking through a beautiful little neighborhood in Birmingham um, yesterday, and everything was so orderly, and there are golf carts around, and the keys are in them, and, and um, there's just this kind of assumption within this community that everything is orderly and that people are trustworthy and that they don't really have to worry. Um, th- what Marxists want to do is disrupt that social order so that you're not left with that you know, anymore. I, hopefully that's, that's making sense. And so that those of us who, who can recall stability, um, the generation that's coming on, they, they will have no memory of that. Thus, they're much easier you know, to manipulate. They're used to an unstable world, an unstable society, um, as opposed to the society uh, that you and I inherited you know, from, from the generations before us. And let me just throw this in. The baby boomer generation is absolutely the worst generation that ever hit this country. I'm not saying that every baby boomer is, but this is the, this is the generation that gave us you know, Nancy Pelosi, that gave us Hillary Clinton, that gave us Bill Clinton, that gave us Joe Biden, that gave us all of these people. And uh, wow, you know, what a, what a train wreck um, that generation, whose high point was Woodstock. I mean, that should tell you. <laughs> that should tell you something about the, uh, you know, the, the, the greatest generation, they won two world wars and put man on the moon. Right. I mean, you know, that's what they did. Um, nothing, not, the, the ones who followed uh, them up were, um, were ne'er-do-wells. But anyway, um, the, the, the thing that connects all this together is, the, is Marxist disruption. We want to invade your space. So you think your bathrooms are safe? We're going to invade that space. You think NFL football is safe? We're going to invade that space. You think that your, your club that's just men only or women, we're going to invade that space. You think that Miss America should be about beautiful women? We're going to invade that space. You think the cover of Sports Illustrated should be, we're going to invade. You see what I mean? Yes. So th- it's all about disrupting and inverting the social order. You say this is beautiful, we'll say that's beautiful. You say this is right, we'll say it's wrong. You'll say this is wrong, we'll say it's right. So it's the inversion of absolutely everything. So if we're trying to to put all of these beads on a string, the Marxist string is the one that makes them all go together. So it seems they're unrelated, but they're actually related. And I should also say this, there are various agendas that we're seeing in in in, in the culture. It's not a singular um, agenda. It's not just all Marxists. Um, it certainly isn't. You know, there is the LGBT, you know, agenda that's over here and there's an alt-right agenda and there's this agenda and there's that agenda. 
But the elitists who are kind of pulling the strings on a lot of this, they're taking the Marxist view, I believe, of something called United Front. And United Front, you ever heard of United Front? Yes. Go ahead. I've heard of it. You get to okay. define it. <laughs> well, United Front is the idea that, think of it, think of Mean Girls. You know, think of uh, um, the idea is that there's a, a group of us and you're the strongest. So I, I unite with, you know, these people to destroy you. And then the next, you know, most dominant, I, I unite with everybody else to destroy them. And then I destroy each and This is what Stalin did. This was the idea. This is what the, the Bolsheviks did. They united with other, uh, the, the, uh, Marxism <clears throat> is just a brand of socialism. Yes. Okay, so not all, all socialists are Marxists. And, um, but Marxism itself had different strains within it. And so the Bolsheviks were just one party. There were a multitude of parties in Russia. Well, the Bolsheviks, who were a minority, in fact, their name means minority party. They united with other parties to destroy their chief rivals until it was, they were the, you know, then there was one. And uh, this is what Stalin did, you know, after the death of uh, Lenin in 1924, I think, is he has slowly eliminated all of his enemies through something called United Front. So we're seeing something like that right now. Are all Marxists all into the LGBTQ? No, they're not, but they're happy to use such people if they're useful to them. And those people are attacking the Christian faith. They're happy to use them because the enemy of my enemy is my friend. So that's part of what's going on here. But you'd ask me another question. (laughs) Well, I did, but I think the way that you just framed it with the beads on the string and the Marxism is what you know, keeps it all together, then you also then begin to understand they must divide and conquer. Yes, they do. They must do it that way. Yep. And, and this is Satan's methodology. I mean, this is what you're yes. seeing in, uh, in various denominations. Right now, you see it in ministries. You see it in churches. Divide and conquer. Let's turn believers against each other. Let's turn them against each other with innuendo, with rumor, with gossip, with... Um, um, Maybe real things, uh, maybe maybe real sin, real failure, but where there's no forgiveness, let's let's turn them against each other. This is Satan's, I think, most powerful tool in his his arsenal is to turn people against each other. Which dovetails perfectly into this idea that they must then create scapegoats um, in this line of thinking, which is very hard for people to understand that that's yeah. what's happening because they don't think that way. I'm reminded of the verse that says that we're to be as wise as serpents, as shrewd as a serpent, but as gentle as a dove. Um, you know, so as I was reading through your article, that was one of the things that, that struck out to me was, hmm, and to take every thought captive, because I think that's helpful in addressing what's going on in America, culturally speaking. But this idea of making scapegoats. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I love what... Uh Roy Medvedev, he's a Russian historian, um, long dead, I think, but he uh, he wrote a book called, uh, among others, called Let History Judge, and it's about Stalinism. And he says that every every despot seeking to build the cult of, pers- of personality must have a scapegoat. So um, it is the pattern, for instance, of those who would seize power, and this is what we're seeing, we must create villains. You know, so um, for Adolf Hitler, it was the Jews. Um, they're the problems. And see, see, this works because 
people want to believe their own failures are not their fault. This is the this is the 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 beauty, the evil genius of intersectionality. I'm not responsible for my own failures. It's someone else who's oppressing me. That 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 mentality appeals to our sinful nature to not take ownership of our own failures. It's not to say there aren't genuine victims. There certainly are, but not our, we don't have a society of victims. There are very few Correct. victims, very few genuine victims. And so um, this, this works when you tell people they're your problem. Aha, well, that's why I'm not succeeding in business or didn't get that scholarship or that raise or that promotion. Somebody else's fault. Um, and um, Stalin did it um, by saying that it was the kulaks, the, that is to say the wealthy peasants. I mean, imagine a contradiction in terms for you right there. But those who were a little bit more capitalistic uh, in, their, in their thinking and who were trying to be more than just subsistence farmers, they're the ones that we, uh, we have to eliminate or the Trotskyists or um, they also persecuted the Jews. They persecuted Christians. Um, you know, so again, we have to find enemies. And it's a never-ending search for enemies. We have to always be creating enemies. You're just going on and on and on. Well, you're seeing Democrats right now, um, actually not just Democrats, I would say radical leftists throughout the Western world are um, dehumanizing, um, demonizing, uh, quote-unquote, far-right. I mean, what is being labeled the far-right these days is absurd. You know, I always thought of far right as, let's say, um, you know, the KKK, you know, something like that. And I don't want to get in a discussion if, they're, if the KKK is actually right or left. We'll save that for another discussion. So save your tweets. But the, the point that I'm, I'm simply making is that, uh, is, is that no longer, uh, you know, is what is being defined as extreme are just people who are, you know, who want stability in society. They're against the killing of kids. Uh, they're against transgender bathrooms. In other words, the real extremists are found on the left. They're not found on the right. They're, they're not found on the right. It's just, it's just not the issue. So um, this, is, this is what they do is create scapegoats. They create enemies. These red staters the, the Republican Party, I mean, you, you saw that um, uh, Joe Biden recently said that the, the Democratic, the Republican Party, excuse me, represents an existential threat to the United States. It is an absurdity. The Democratic Party represents an existential threat to the United States with open borders, with the assault on the unborn, with the assault on um, citizens in this country, with the assault on our economy, a deliberate um, efforts on their part. So, so this is this is what they're doing is creating creating scapegoats. So before we take another break, let's talk about creating chaos. Yeah, creating the chaos is uh, is an, another part of the, the tactic here, and um, that chaos we've seen in the form of say Antifa, Black Lives Matter, um, where you're thinking, why isn't um, uh, Mayor Lightfoot in Chicago putting her foot down on all the crime, the murders that are going through the roof in her city. Why isn't she cracking down on this? Um, why are we seeing videos? I saw one yesterday of somebody in Chicago being dragged from a car um, and beaten while looters were, were stealing from the, uh, from the automobile. Why isn't that being prosecuted? Because they want disruption. 
they want disruption. So they're allowing disruption. They're encouraging disruption. How many people have you seen really prosecuted from Kenosha, from Portland, from uh, D.C., from places where we've seen Ferguson, where we've seen cities burning? Right. Um, public officials put under threat that the the Republican uh, National Convention, you know, where Rand Paul is talking about uh, my friend Eric Metaxas, who people are trying to attack him. Right. So um, these are very real things and they want that chaos to create that disruption. So let's pause right there, take a break, and then we'll finish with a fascinating article. This is the Larry Alex Taunton Show. Welcome back. So, Larry, there's a great point that you've made, and it's in reference to making a movement out of what is going on, and we can see that happening in the United States. But there's something that you pointed out earlier that I want to go back to because you bring it up right under uh, point number four, and it's this argument that when you're making a movement, you say that who would say they're against, and you can kind of pick, for for example, so you're against the Bolsheviks, I guess you're against peace, or I suppose you don't think I deserve land to feed my family. And you can use that, and, and, and people are, are picked off with this argument. You're against my grandmother having health care. Yeah. You know, yeah. you're against my child having, I don't even know what. How do we combat this kind of argument? Yeah, the uh, it's been <clears throat> again. This comes back to Iago, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. It's um, it's part of the the strategy to uh, cloak my real intentions in um, you know very innocuous, uh, inclusive sounding, um, uh, justice sounding language. So that the Bolsheviks, you know, again, the Bolsheviks killed uh, maybe sixty million of their own people. Um. Their slogan was peace, bread, land. Who could be against peace, bread, and land? They were saying, you know, the peasants deserve, we, we want an end to the war because this was during World War One. We want an end to the war. Um, we want, so we want peace. We want bread. We want to be able to feed our families and the peasants deserve land. Those were all real issues at the time. So it, that theme resonated with people. What they didn't know was however bad they thought the czars were, what replaced them was infinitely worse you see so um they didn't understand the motivations they their their desires were being weaponized and used against them with a slogan like that peace bread land i mean hitler gained power by um you know they they had very clever propaganda they they took pictures of you know of all of these disabled veterans you know her begging in the streets and and um you know, put them on posters to depict, you know, look at this. This is what the Weimar Republic has given us. This is where we are. Vote Hitler, you know, vote for the, you know, for the Nazi party. Um, a lot of people are seduced by that. They, uh, they are. And so when, I, you know, Black Lives Matter, which is a Marxist organization, now they've removed that from their website. Their website used to state, we are about the destruction of the family we're about the LGBT, uh, Q plus, alphabet soup, and we are Marxist. Um, this is who we are. Uh, and by the way, if you're Marxist, you are by you know you're de facto against the family. I mean, because this is you know Karl Marx's you know communist manifesto. All you have to do is read. I encourage anyone out there to read that little, maybe ninety page book. It's 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 little more than a than a pamphlet, really. 
Anyway, um, they use this kind of language, Black Lives Matter. So immediately they're putting you on the defensive because if you oppose them, did you, are you saying that black lives don't matter? Are, you're a racist. So that is, is how they're couching it just immediately. It's the when did you stop beating your wife routine. So, um, yeah, so they make it a movement by hijacking your moral sensibilities so that, and again, I keep using the analogy of a, you know, of a laser pointer with a cat. I can direct a cat endlessly with a laser pointer. It will just paw at whatever I point that thing on, the wall, the floor, you name it. It will chase after it. And the, uh, the engineers of, um, of, of quote-unquote social justice, they know that they can do this. They, they're very effective at directing an ignorant uh, uh, mass of people who are going to paw at whatever they tell them to paw at. Uh, Ukraine. Paw, 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 <laughs> you know, yes. um, you know, people who did couldn't point at it on a map, never been there, don't know a thing about it. But now they're all Ukraine, um, you know, uh, Black Lives Matter. They're going to go in on that, you know, um, uh, LGBTQ trans movement. We're going to paw at that because they have hijacked their sensibilities to tell them that this is justice. And if you're opposed to it, then you're opposed to freedom. You're opposed to love. You're opposed to uh, equality. You're opposed to um you know, um, you're, you're pro-Putin, you're pro-war, you know, whatever. So they immediately put you on the defensive. So they're very good at this. So are we lost to this because in, in a way we used to emphasize, emphasize, sorry, words, rhetoric, logic, and, and to a degree it feels like because we've lost that in our schools today, people are entranced by this and they're drawn in. Is that, could that perhaps be part of the issue? Uh, yeah, I, I think so. Um, and listen, this these tactics only work in a, um, a marginally Christian society. These tactics would never work in China or Iran or Saudi Arabia because they would just shoot you in the head. You know, so they, they wouldn't fall for this. But in a, in a Christian context, I weaponize your guilt. You know, so we've talked about this before, your sense of guilt about something that you because you're rich or because you're white or because you're um you know american or because in in my case not you because i'm a male you know or whatever so uh, they weaponize that against you and say you owe something now again if i have what i call a, a sentimental christianity not real christianity but my my um my values are christian ish that tactic will work because I'll go, oh gosh, you know, I guess you're right. I guess I do. Oh, I guess I'm, I really am an awful person. What can I do? Mm-hmm. But again, in a society that doesn't hold to that view, I mean, for instance, uh, if you take, if you take Islam, uh, you know, Orthodox Islam, they would say, yes, we believe women are second class citizens. You're not gonna make me feel guilty about that. You are. You're just a sex object. You're just there to use when I when I want to use. That's all that you exist for, women. That you you see what I mean? You could never weaponize that against them. Well, gosh, you you really mistreat non-Muslims. Yes, well, I'm commanded to do so. Uh, next, you know, so that kind of strategy w- only works in a marginally Christian society. Mm. So, how about this? What about the political trash talk that you bring up? 
Yeah, we have you ever you you've seen trash talk. I mean, you're a sports fan, right? How yes, does that I am. work? What does that look like? Oh my gosh. I mean, you know, on the basketball court, I ask my son or I've asked Chris, what are y'all saying to each other? He's like, Oh, we are trash <laughs> talking. I was like, but I can't see your mouth moving. He can said, trust me, mom. <laughs> He's like, I, not that I can repeat on the air. Um, but yes, just trash talking each other, um, using each other's emotions against one another, trying to get a cheap shot off of somebody because they're <laughs> off balance, you know, that's like a completely mom female perspective. I get it. So yeah, I you can see tell that me be what you're when you're saying that you read the lips. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it happened once in front of um, my my husband's uncle, who did introduce us. Thank you, John. Um, yeah, Will was trash talking, but we heard him. Um, we heard the boys in general. I'm like, oh, okay. So this is what's happening out there. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I think very funny. Um, this is very old school, but Ahmad Rashad, who was a receiver for the uh, the Minnesota Vikings, you know, um, many moons ago. But he talked about Lester Hayes, who was, I think it was Lester Hayes. No, Mike Haynes. Mike Haynes, who was a, Lester Hayes was too. But um, Mike Haynes, who was a defensive back for the, uh, the Oakland Raiders. And he said we were both, you know, we were friends. And he said that Mike Haynes would trash talk me <laughs> right and left. And he said, I'd go up to catch a pass, and he would knock the crap out of me. I'd be laying on the ground, and then he would say, so, how are the wife and kids? <laughs> <laughs> He'd help me up off the ground. So, yep. you guys available for dinner on next Friday night? Yeah, okay, see ya. And he said, and then the, the, we'd line up, and again, it would start all over again. So this is trash talk. But as it relates to um, what we're talking about here, I, I use that language because most people know what trash talk is. Yes. You know, if you're any kind of sports fan, you see it all the time, you know, in a – uh, in any kind of game, you know, whether it's Tom Brady you know, mouthing off to uh, you know an opponent, or it's LeBron James, or you know any any of uh, any other sport, that just about that you you care to name. I suppose, you know, perhaps golf is too gentlemanly. You don't, as a rule, see that. But we saw some trash talk, by the way, about a week ago between. You know what I'm going to say? Yes. Who? who? Oh wait. Oh, huh. oh you remember? Um, Gone out of my head. Uh, Jimbo Fisher and oh, uh, it was Nick Saban and Nick Saban. Yes, there was some serious trash talk <laughs> going on there. I mean, something. <laughs> maybe the most personal trash talk I've ever seen. I don't know that I've ever seen it get as uh, as bad no. as that did. No, um, but I do like to say that my guy Nick Saban and ha- Saban handled himself very professionally in uh, in that whole exchange. But anyway, all of that said, when I'm talking about pro- political trash talk. We have been used to, the, the world that the two of us grew up in, we're used to this idea of A, free speech, which they don't hold to, and B, that you get a hearing. You know, I listen to you, you listen to me. Fixed Point Foundation, the organization that I direct, was founded on this principle. I know this because I founded it. So this, this is, is what we were about. We will listen to what the atheists have to say, or the Muslims, or, you know, the, the pro-gay marriage, or whatever it is, whatever the topic is. We'll have, we will have a free and open exchange of ideas. I'm a big, big believer in that. I, in other words, I'm happy to listen to the people who are in favor of intersectionality. Glad to hear them, but I want to have my say too. I want people on my side to be able to to respond to that. Um, well, that's not what they believe. So uh, there, a lot of their rules, their ideas, and he's not the one who invented them. It's just Marxism in general. But a lot of their ideas come from a book by a man named Saul Alinsky, A-L-I-N-S-K-Y. Saul Alinsky, um, who um, wrote a book called Rules for Radicals and uh, deeply influenced, by the way, um, Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton. And um, they, uh, his, his book 
is uh, at least partially dedicated to Lucifer. He says that um, that Lucifer, that is Satan, who was the first rebel. So, I mean, that, that immediately gives you some idea of what this book is about. And Alinsky says... He says this, and I quote, ridicule is man's most powerful weapon. It is almost impossible to counterattack. So rather than me listening to you, um, I'm going to ridicule you. I'm going to interrupt. I'm going to make noise. I'm going to do everything I can to keep you from being able to say anything because I don't want you to be able to say anything. This idea is what drives, um, you know, Twitter suppression of, um, you know, of uh, free speech. It's uh, with Facebook. Um, it's what we're seeing the left do in a very big way. And it's shocking to Americans uh, because we believe in fair play. We just sort of assume that everybody believes in fair right. play, that even the people, you know, who we don't agree with, that they agree. Because you know, we heard them say it for so long, right? Oh, yes, they promised. Yes, this is what they're about. Well, they're not about that. They are about the acquisition of power at all costs. And you, and you will understand nothing about what's happening in the culture if you don't know that first. It is about power. No matter how we get there, ends justify means. And if I can shout you down, I can uh, shut you off of, uh, I mean, let's just take, for example, whether you voted for Trump, whether you like Trump, um, whatever you think about Trump, let's think about what the left did um, when, he was, when he was running for president. And while he was president, we now know beyond the shadow of a doubt that the FBI, the Hillary Can- uh, Clinton campaign were involved in what should send them all to jail. Right. It was a dishonest, they knew it was dishonest to push that Donald Trump was involved in a, um, a collusion with Putin and the Russian government to seize the American election. We know this is complete nonsense, but this was pushed for at least two years by people like David French, right. to my knowledge, yes. who have never, never apologized for it. So we've, we, we know that they did that. We also know that they did their best to disrupt every single thing that he was doing. Time Magazine has written a very interesting article about this because, as Trump himself said when I was down in Mar-a-Lago, he said that the left couldn't resist bragging about it. So they wrote an article about all that they I did agree. that was dishonest. And, uh, and part of that was, um, was, was suppression of free speech. It was with false narratives. Um, it was with disruption. We want to make... Um, the American public so exhausted by a Donald Trump presidency that we will not give you peace until you get rid of him. And uh, by the way, again, to show you these tactics go way back, this is actually a tactic that Muhammad encouraged. It's in the Quran. He says, terrorize the unbelievers. Terrorize them until they you know, convert or pay tax or, you know, die. So, you know, the idea is I'm not going to give you rest un, un, until you give me what I want. So this is a big part of what this is about. And so is, and hand in hand with it is then, and you mentioned this, disinformation. 100%. Um, you know, and people are lured into the disinformation. And so then you you begin to ask the question, oh my goodness, what is what is truth? But that maintaining, which is what they did for, for four years, 
um, maintain an unrelenting campaign of public disinformation while accusing your enemies of deception. Yes. What a tactic. I mean, imagine, think about it. If I have no real moral foundation, I don't care what truth is. I just want power. And I'm willing to do anything in order to get it. So that means to lie about you, to smear you. You're running for public office. I'm running for public office. So I put out there, I say the most outrageous things, just hoping that something will stick. You know, Amy Beth is actually an agent of ex-government. She represents this radical idea. I find some old tweet or some old, uh, you know, comment you made on Facebook or someone who's willing to come out of the closet and smear you as a racist, as, with just anything I can that will, um, you know, plant seeds of doubt in the minds of those who might potentially support you. That's what they're about. And if you're naive enough, and I, I feel like our culture is, amazingly, even at this point, Americans are incredibly naive about these kinds of tactics. These are tactics that are used all over the world in a very big way. We're not used to seeing them on this scale in this country. So that we have had generally had a... Um, Oh, a, a fair level of confidence in our media um, in years, you know, decades past. Now uh, people are wondering, you know, who's telling the truth? Right, left, center? Who, who can I trust? Maybe the most frequent question I'm asked these days is, Larry, what's your news source? So that, that alone indicates to you that people are feeling like, wow, I can't trust anything or anybody. And it's because we have these, these campaigns of um, disinformation on everything from vaccines to, um, you know, political candidates to um, the abortion narrative, you name it. Oh, and by the way, to go back to thinking of abortion, to go back to something we were talking about um, here earlier, one of, our, um, one of our earlier points, political trash talk and creating mm -hmm. chaos. Have you noticed how they've employed this against Supreme Court justices? Yes. I mean, they're going to their, their houses, they're protesting on their yards. It is physical intimidation. Uh, and this is what they're about. And when Charles Schumer and Nancy Pelosi are asked about this, they say almost nothing. Right. I mean, imagine that, that a that that figures at that level of um, government are not condemning it, that they're not condemning it. And it's because it's being used against their political opponents. So they're OK with it. And can you imagine then if the shoe were on the other foot? Can you even imagine? Oh, they'd want the army out, you know, and uh, shoot these people. I mean, they do to them what they did to the protesters in Ottawa. Right. I still can't get over, and, and people have lost, you know, touch with what happened in Ottawa and what Trudeau, um, you know, did to the people in Ottawa. But anyway, this is, this is where we find ourselves. So then you bring up an important point, and I think you've said it well, but this just stands out, is the thing is never the thing. Now... Uh, permit me for a moment, Amy Beth. You are not an insecure woman, so I think I could say this. Um, I'm going to play off of a trope about women. Please do. And um, and it's a uh, it is of course um, a joke. But you know, men will almost always say that when they are in conflict, men with in conflict with their wives, they'll almost always say the thing is not never the thing. <laughs> You've heard this, it's yes. True. <laughs> <laughs> that whatever you think she's upset about, it's not that. And if she is upset um, over the way you shut the door, you can bet that that's not the reason she's actually upset. <laughs> that the thing is never the thing. So uh, again, I'm 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 joking here, but the idea 
the idea in this as it relates to Marxists is they're willing to hijack absolutely anything mm. to use it against you. So you're thinking, for instance, when they're toppling statues, that it's about race. Right. It must be about race. So we need to address race. But that's not the thing. And then you're Beth Moore and you think the issue is white supremacy. So you start tweeting on white supremacy, but it isn't about white supremacy. They don't believe white supremacy. <laughs> They're not buying into that. Right. It's about George Floyd because George Floyd was killed. They're upset. Yesterday, Barack Obama was tweeting about George Floyd. They, you, you keep thinking that it's something else, that it's about racial equality. It's about sexual equality. It's about, it's, it's none of those things. It's about power. Yes. It's about keeping you constantly responding to me. You know, I play a lot of chess, or used to. I, I don't these days, but I used to. And in, in growing up and in college, um, I played a ton of chess. And, you know, the part of, you know, just a basic principle of chess is to make your opponent constantly mm-hmm. have to respond to you. It's be true in basketball. You'd be true in football. The idea is that I'm setting the tempo and you're never able to implement your strategy because I'm constantly making you react. You you have to react to me. I move this piece and put your queen in check. Dang, I was going to do this, but I can't. Now I got to move my queen. I, I then move again, excuse me, to put your king in check, not your queen in check, put your king in check. Um, again, I'm forcing you to move. This is a piece you were going to move somewhere else, but now you have to move it into a defensive posture. The idea, the idea of, of cultural Marxism is to continually disrupting to make you think this is the issue or that's the issue or that's the issue. It's just making you respond. I'm about power. Hmm. I want power. And so when we begin to finally understand all of these tenets of what Marxism is about leading to seizing power, then as a believer, what are we to do? What, what do we, once we see it, and I hope that people cannot unsee it, what do we do? Well, I think one of the things that we can do is it's, this kind of gets back to this question of, you know, whether or not Christians, I see that Andy Stanley has come out, well, I haven't read it, but I've heard about it. Andy Stanley has come out with a book um, that he's basically arguing that Christians need to stay out of politics. Um, you know, I don't read that in, 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 in my Bibles. I, I believe in a God who, um, you know, in, in the words of, um, um, suddenly his name has gone straight out of, out of my head, but, um, oh goodness. Anyway, the, uh, the, uh, the statesman who is also a theologian, his name has gone straight Yes, Abraham Kuyper, thank you very much. From the control room there, we have an answer that has come down, and it is Abraham Kuyper who said, there's not one square inch of human existence that Jesus doesn't point to and say, that was mine. By the way, I occasionally forget things because I did bounce off a windshield. So that's just uh, that's just the ways that, that things sometimes are. I don't see, a, you know, thinking of life as a pie chart. You know, I've said this before. There's, there's, not, there's not some area of life that Jesus says, I don't have anything to say about that. You know, when it comes to marriage, I don't have anything to do with that. Politics, don't have anything to do with that. Race, I have nothing to do with that. Um, we're not, we as Christians, I want to be very clear. I don't believe that the Republican Party or any party um, is, uh, is a means of salvation. 
I don't believe that. I believe that, or a means of actual hope. My hope is in the person of Jesus Christ alone. Jesus Christ alone. But I believe that a, a part of my calling as a Christian is the defense of the weak, the helpless, the poor. And when you're seeing the hijacking of power like this, and that the, the, the political fallout is the annihilation of the unborn, it is the annihilation of the rule of law, and replacing it with something that's so insidious as, um, uh, as some kind of um, Marxist agenda, I have to oppose that with every fiber of my being. I have to, I have, I mean, you know, again, my father was a soldier who fought Marxists in two wars. Uh, the least I can do is fight it domestically. Um, and um, we as Christians, we have to recognize this for what it is because it is demonic. Let me, let me <laughs> underscore that. It is demonic. So the people like Andy Stanley, perhaps, again, I've not read the book, but I've read summaries that, um, so I don't want to offer a full commentary on it and attribute opinions to him that he may not hold. But it is my understanding, at least, there are many Christians who are of the view that we don't get involved in, uh, in political things, and they think that's very Christian. I think it's cowardly. It just feels cowardly to me. And it also feels to me like it's a way of punting and letting myself off the hook. In other words, that idea does appeal to me because it means I just go sit on my dock and, you know, um, you know, sip some uh, sweet tea with lemon and, you know, enjoy the view and, and not worry about it. And then I can, whenever I feel any pangs of conscience that I ought to be doing something, I can reassure myself, no, this is the Christian thing to do, to not be, to not be involved in, in any of this. If you knew, let, let, let me put the question, let me put it like this. It's the eve of the Russian Revolution. You know history. You know what's going to happen. You know millions are going to die. You know what the Bolsheviks stand for. Do you oppose them? Or do you say to yourself, the Christian thing to do here will be to stay out of politics? Oh my gosh, you'd try to save everyone that you could. Without question. Absolutely. And I, I whatever the outcome is, I want to be able to stand in front of my Lord having, you know, on, on my epitaph, you know, my, my, uh, my tombstone, you know, whatever the, whatever's put on that thing, I, I would hope that, that it says something to the fact he gave everything he had. He did a lot of silly things, some stupid things, some embarrassing things, but he poured out everything he had, um, that God gave him, um, to use, um, to promote, um, to forward um, the gospel. And in this day and age, that means at this time opposing what we're seeing taking place politically and culturally. I believe that with every fiber of my being. So do you have, in the closing moments of the show, final thoughts for our audience? You know, I would say that you got to get into the heads of, um, in order to understand how uh, people like this think, I would really highly recommend um, that you read a little book like uh, Saul Alinsky's. Uh, I know that's not something that will excite people, but I think once you get going on it, you'll go, oh, wow, this yes. is starting to make sense. Uh, Rules for Radicals is a book. I was Again, it's a small book, The Communist Manifesto. Read it. You want to make sense. You want to connect dots of what's happening in the culture. Go and read what they're reading. Go and read what it is they believe. And again, just to be clear, these are people who believe 
that they are bringing a utopian future. Listen to what some of these people are saying at the, um, the World Economic Forum where Klaus Schwab just a few days ago is shaking his fist. Um, it reminded me of Hitler, you know, shaking his fist in the very same way. And he says, the world's future is being formed by us. He says in his, uh, his very sinister sounding, you know, German accent. And um, this is what they believe. They see themselves as better than the rest of humanity, as more enlightened than the rest of humanity, and as bequeathing on humanity a wonderful future. And, and, and let me end with this thought. These people are what we would call, these people are what we would call um, ideologues. And, uh, and an, an, an ideologue is, uh, is an individual who uh, believes ideas are more important than people. They may not articulate it that way, but at the end of the day, that's what they think. So that I love humanity in the general, not in the specific. And I love my ideas so much that I'm willing to, to cause as much pain and suffering and death as is necessary to achieve that idea. This is the way utopians always work. So that, I mean, for instance, the World Economic Forum put out, I believe it was the World Economic Forum, had an interesting little ad that ran at the height of the pandemic. The height of the pandemic. And you thought, you talk about people who are tone deaf and totally unaware of what's going on with real people in the world. It was a little video, Amy Beth, that was showing like a drone going over empty streets and interstates and highways and quiet towns and so on. And it says, look at what's happening in our world and how the world is healing from the plague of humanity. Um, with Because of the lockdowns, the earth, the earth is experiencing a renaissance. And they immediately started taking that down because I think people started attacking them. I was one of them. Where you're going, are you this tone deaf? That you're celebrating lockdowns and how wonderful that... But see, if you're an ideologue and you, th you worship the environment and you don't care about people, that's the way you see it. It's just the antithesis of the gospel. Well, isn't it? And see, and that's where a lot of Christians aren't seeing. So... What we want to encourage our listeners to do then for the Larry Alex Taunton show is to make sure that you sign up so that you do not miss episodes like this on LarryAlexTaunton.com. You can give us five-star reviews on um, Apple Podcast. And um, BeanPod or Bean Podbean Pod, or something Pod like Bean, that. I, you know, from the control room. We're gonna I just, just don't like that name. <laughs> it's kind of an odd name, but you know what? No one's going to forget it now. But I love saying it. You know, five-star reviews. Share it with your friends. Sign up for your Rumble, newsletter. Rumble. Rumble YouTube. You know, why not? All the places. <laughs> you find it everywhere. You'll find it everywhere. But this has been the latest edition of the Larry Alex Taunton Show. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in. We will see you next time. Adios. Turn out the lights. The party's over. They say that all. Ladies and gentlemen, we are grateful for the standing ovation, but there will be no encore for today's performance. Please exit the building in an orderly fashion. Thank you. Honey, can we leave now? <laughs>